electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Seberg, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, cover your eyes, crypto universe. Bitcoin is crashing, and there could be no end in sight to the carnage. We will explain. Plus, the problems keep piling up for Tesla CEO Elon Musk. Now, short seller Andrew Left is suing the company, and Musk just won't stop talking. He's his own worst enemy. But first, we start with semi-shock. The chip stock's getting wrecked today, taking down the Nasdaq by about a percent for the second day in a row. This after Morgan Stanley warned about a tough couple of months for the group. So as these once high-flying tech stocks get crushed, is it another sign the tech trade is cracking and are momentum stocks the biggest risk? Guy? Well, I dig Imagine, imagine Dragon, number one. I mean, just lead the show with Aerosmith Why? the other night and Imagine Dragon. I don't really know who the Imagine Dragons are. Sure you do. I do? Well, that's the music we led to the show with, number one, Tim. So just Thanks, get man. on board. No idea. Help me here. <laughs> Help me start I'm, this I'm, show. I'm disappointed Can you, you know start? Back in May, back in May, Micron reports earnings, right? Great earnings report. But what stuck to me was the fact that they announced a $10 billion stock buyback starting in September. I said on the show that night, that says to me they're no longer going to be a cyclical business. They have visibility. This is a great sign for the company. They've made the turn. Stock went from 47 to 60. Basically, given the entire move back, I was clearly wrong in that assumption. I think people are coming around to the fact that maybe the demand isn't there, and maybe these Chinese tariffs, which may or may not come, is a bigger deal than the market gives it credit for. So there are ripple effects. 100%. To hardware, which may not be putting those chips in those devices, Well, but, but Micron's a really specific, uh, it's a good example to talk about what retaliation means in a trade war, right? Because Micron makes mm -hmm. a lot of their chips here in the U.S., right? So this is kind of a two-pronged sort of thing. When you talk about what the supply chain looks like in the inputs that go into computers and they go into servers and they go into smartphones, um, it's a two-way street here. So to me, I think what's really important about Micron is that this is the most cyclical company. I heard Jim Cramer say something about trading at four times earnings. That's for a reason, okay? You don't buy it because you think it's a cheap value. You buy it because you think it's on the cusp of the cycle. And if the cycle turns, we know what happens. At the end of 2014 to its lows in 2016, the stock sold off 75%. And I think what's really important about these semi-downgrades over the last couple of days, it's a combination of maybe a lighter supply, or excuse me, a tighter supply and a little less demand. And you put those things together and you don't want to own a stock that trades at four times earnings that's up, you know, 3,000% over the last, you know, couple of years. Right. And, I, and I, first of all, I'll give you credit. You had a great call on it. I mean, over the past couple weeks, the semis in general, you said pull back. I give you credit when credit's due, Dan. But I'd say you're right about the cycle. The cycle can last for quite some time. You look at some of these semi-cap equipment names now, like the AMATs of the world, the LAMs of the world. These have pulled back 30% already year to date. The cycle meaning the downside part of the cycle or the upside part of the, the cycle? The downside part of the okay. cycle. It can last for a period of time. His point to Micron is we saw a massive, massive shift down lower when the cycle from the time it began to, to when it actually ended. So I look at some of these names that have already been, I think, really, I don't want to use the word de-risk, but sold off dramatically. Semi-cap equipment names in particular, you could see a trading bounce here. It's going to fake the street out because I still think there's more downside risk to go in those particular names. However, I look at a name like AMD and I'd say AMD is trading at a, at a very, I know people look at the move it's had and say it's a crazy move higher. 
There is a name that people are ultra-focused, not on 2018 and 19 earnings. They're focusing out to 2020 because of the market share steal that they're going to get or gain that they're going to get from Intel. So I think AMD and pullbacks, that's a name you want to stick with. I, I, you know, as far as Micron goes, I, I think people have been all really concerned about softening pricing. I think the bottom line for the, 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 the memory manufacturers is there's a lot more discipline. There's a lot more of a rational approach to profitability as opposed to just controlling market share. So I, I think people have been in the past tended to overreact in, in Micron and maybe that was the right thing to do in the past you know couple cycles but right here you know I just think Micron is, is ultimately um, a, a more of a commoditized stock with a hell of a amount excuse me a heck of a lot of upside oh. um, if you actually think that the cycle is still with us semis by the way pe peaked in March though so I mean if you look at what's going on with semis it's not like this is suddenly a, a big pullback to relative to where we were and I think by the way there is a coincidence with that and the trade wars. It's really when we started to get into this, they peaked. I don't disagree with any of that. I think what's different about this cycle now is that semiconductors, memory chips, they're going to so many other products right now. And you can say that that's bullish, right? Because that the typical cycles that we used to see with PCs was very, you know, you could kind of mm -hmm. time it out, 18 months, two years, that sort of thing. So maybe there's broader distribution right now because there's a lot more end markets. Um, but listen, here's the thing. Your point is a really good one. If you look at the SMH, okay, the semiconductor ETF, right. It's just been in a big, long base, and it can't break out. It has not made new highs. So you got to throw that into some of these other groups. Isn't that a trade war function, yeah, though? I mean, ultimately, when did this really start? And why did they peak so much before the rest of tech when, in fact, this should be about a long-term cycle? But we say one of the biggest end markets is going to be the automobile industry? And when you look at GM, just sure. made a new 52-week low today. You know, I mean, like, so to me, I kind of lump them all together. It just kind of feels kind of weak here. Right. You look at, look at like names like Seagate and Western. Those were, Seagate and Western Days were the first names really to start to roll over. Keep an eye on those names, I think. And, and when those start to turn a little bit or moderate, I think that's a signal where you could step in and start picking away and buying some of these names. Those are two names in particular I'm watching. But it's interesting, quickly, to Dan's point and to David's point, you buy these stocks on valuation a lot of times because you think it's cheap. It, that valuation gets a lot cheaper. AMD, on the other hand, valuation has been ridiculous now for the last... 30% of the move, but the stock continues to go higher. So sometimes higher valuations are actually telling you a story. Well, NVIDIA, for sure, NVIDIA right? I mean, well. again, yeah. if you get to a different part of the spectrum here, um, I, I would agree with that. I, I think in the semi-land, you've actually had these high-growth players who are in these exotic new areas of gaming and Bitcoin, and, you know, you buy them. But what do we do about the broader markets? I mean, is this a tell in any way about technology as a sector? Well, no, I, mean, I think that it's a, when you think about the broader market and the impact on the broader market, I look at today's you know, trading action we saw on the desk. I mean, there was a lot of pain out there. A lot of investors, real selling we saw in these names. It wasn't like, you know, in, semiconductors in, in the semi space. Yeah, in particular. I mean, so is it isolated? Um, is it a sign of something to come? I don't, I don't know Are that these, it's necessary. I think it is. I think, tell you I think it's a, the spillover something? effect could last for a, little, uh, for a little while. That's my opinion. There's been a lot of money being made in this particular sector, a lot of concern out there. I think the general investor is sort of a little bit scared here, and I think we're starting to see it from activity on the desk. Where does that money flow into? You could see it flow into like Big Cap Pharma or, or other sectors of a little bit more from a safety perspective, but I, I, I do think that it's going to last for a little while. Look, again, reminding people all week, we, and for the last couple of weeks, we've been getting PMIs, ISM numbers, exports from the rest of the world where their export orders are low and they're very concerned and you're getting follow-through. Uh, you actually printed a negative PMI in Guangdong in China today, which, I, you know, no one even knows what that is. Guess what? Some major feed-throughs with some major industrial parts of China. But the tech component business is a global business. So there's no, there's no question that these companies should be feeling some of the pain here. And I think it makes sense that we've actually seen this very uneasy trade as the rest of the world, especially tech-heavy Taiwan, Hong Kong, 
China are getting crushed right now. Well, you know what are, are also global businesses? Advertising businesses. When you think about what Fang is, where do they get all of their revenues? Obviously, ex-Amazon, you know, Google, Facebook. It's, it's really advertising. That used to be one of the most cyclical sort of businesses. Now, obviously, they have the tailwind of this massive secular trend towards online advertising. But at some point, if there is a recession, it'll be the first time it's going to be a recession since Facebook was really a thing, right? You know, you're going to see a slowdown in ad spend, and you're going to see a deceleration in their in their sales, and those are the sorts of things where a lot of investors who are very crowded in FANG are going to head for and the door at the same time. acceleration in their spending, that's which right. is the message that's that we right. heard from Washington. Right. And quick point, again, not to get political, but you have to ask yourself, the, a lot of the people hoping for the market to go higher, the hopes are pinned on the fact that we'll get something done with the Chinese. So ask yourself this now. Do you think the Chinese are in a hurry to get into some trade deal with all the unrest that we've seen over the last week in the administration? Again, not a political thing. I mean, that's just fact. So I didn't think they were going to do anything pre the elections in November. Now I'm not certain they're going to do anything for the rest of the year into early next year. Sounds like everybody's a little cautious. Yeah. I mean, I think the questions we're getting on the desk, you know, where do I put money, where do I park money, all that stuff in the face of a 30% They're asking threat. you that? Of course they that's are. Funny. I, I, listen, that's you know what's really funny, funny though? I look, at, I, look value. At, I look at my screens today and I saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average close up on the day. I saw a lot of pockets of strength. I saw those no, sort of defensive. rotations. It's defensive. Yeah, I mean, no, you have, look, at, look at AT&T. Look at some of the staples. Yeah. Look Again, value has been the story of the week. And, yeah. and you can make an argument that in this environment where people are very concerned on trade, uh, they're going to continue to play that way. Well, then that means that you think the markets overall can go higher, that there are pockets of the market that will go higher, that it's not something systemic, it's not a shock that takes the entire market no, I, down. I don't think it's systemic. I don't think there's a shock. I mean, we never know what's going to occur, but I don't think this is the shock effect that's going to take the entire market to, to crazy lows. I think that this is going to have a spillover effect absolutely to the broader market right now. When there's blood and, you know, in portfolios, people, you know, struggle from a standpoint yeah, of risk. And I think risk has been sort of backed off a little bit. Think of the August we had. Tech was overbought. Um, transports continue to trade well. So, Mel, you said which parts of the markets are doing fine. You know, retail had a bit of a pullback today, but I think largely consumer discretionary trades well, as it should. So um, I think it's triple Qs that are really the ones that had to correct and, I think, and have. I think an important thing is to look at earnings, right? What are earnings projections in some of these names? Look at AMD. We talk about AMD. 2020, the street's looking for 89 cents a share. David, Our David, bull case David. scenario Why are we talking is, about 2020 because earnings? Because that's what people, No, no, listen. I'll tell you why. why. Because AMS, they are clack. taking market share listen, from Intel David, and the expectations of that. Core, a, a customer of AMD. They sell equipment to make I chips. I get it. Okay? They just said that they think the back half of this year's their, their, their estimates are too high. That's what started this whole sell-off uh, here. So we're talking about what's going to turn the market right now. Think about that we could have been way front-unloaded, right, for earnings estimates, you know, into the back half right. of the year. And, but and you're missing me, my point that's on that. A dangerous it's, not about the, it's not about you're that. You're missing I'm, his point. Okay, I'm saying but the stock's up 100%. Stock, no one's missing the point for a reason because It's up 100%. It's up 100% for a reason because expectations are that you're going to take significant market share from AMD. No question from about Intel. that. The streets at 89 cents in 2020. Intel. We're at a buck and a quarter. It could be a hundred. It could be a dollar seventy-five. Put an average market multiple okay, on that David, at twenty-seven bucks. That's in You're the at forty-four stock in the bucks high a 20s. share. It was trading at nine dollars seven I months ago. I get it. Ago. I'm going to blow the proverbial yeah. whistle. It's blown. All right. Our next guest says buy every tech pullback. We're joined now by Scott Wren, senior global equity strategist at Wells Fargo. A lot of yelling going on tonight, Scott. There I don't know was, what's, what's, you guys, what's you guys in the water here. Yeah. Um, but buy every dip in technology. Scott, i got to ask you, because we've seen a tough couple of days for the social media stocks. Um, we've got a time when investors are saying, you know what, they're going to have to increase spend um, to a degree. We don't, we don't really understand how much they're going to have to increase spend. And then we had these two companies today, Micron and KLAC, at a city conference talking about 
uh, oversupply in the market. I mean, these are two major forces in the tech sector, and yet you're saying buy every dip. Well, I think, you know, right now, uh, Melissa, if you think that uh, the global expansion is going to continue, you have to look at, at sectors that are going to participate. And, you know, what we've done, and, you know, you, know, you look at some stats today, uh, the tech sector index, uh, the GIX sector index, it's up 25% almost from the February lows, and we've just coughed up 3% of that while, you know, the S&P's been up about 10% over that period of time. So I, I would argue, um, you know, you look at this thing technically, you would expect uh, some pullback, you would expect a little less momentum, and really um, the tech sector index has not touched the 200-day moving average since June of 2016. Uh, that kind of time, it usually doesn't happen. It happens more frequently than that. So, I mean, I would argue, you know, the tech sector index is down 3%. I mean, if it was down another 3% or 4% or even 5%, um, I you know, you might not even touch the 200-day moving average. You might be close. But uh, technically, I mean, the tech sector still looks pretty good, as does the S&P 500 as a whole. Hey, Scott, it's Tim. But you, you talked about a global expansion, and I, I guess this is my problem, but it leads to my question. I, I'm not right now. I think the global expansion is being held in question, and we continue to get these data points around the world that everyone else is slowing. So at what point do you look at PMIs and global leading indicators and say, you know what? Maybe maybe this has changed, and, and yeah, where do yeah. I have to change my assessment well, on stocks? Well, you know, Tim, that that is to me the biggest two risks that we have to the to the S and P 500 anyway is is the Fed going to make a mistake, which I think is a low probability, and then also is global growth going to slow down? Now, our macroeconomists think you know we obviously had a stumble here earlier in the year uh, in terms of some global growth, but they're confident that we're going to see uh, uh, better news as we move into the into the end of the year. So, you know, for me, that is a risk. Um, some of the data has looked pretty dicey in here, uh, but based on the research that we're doing, uh, I think the market's a little more worried about that than what the actual result's going to be. Scott, nobody seems to be making a big deal. Emerging market currencies get crushed, emerging markets down. Nobody, David just said it, he didn't think it's systemic, and that's what makes markets. But at what point do emerging market weakness and currency that moves percentage points on a daily basis, when do they matter for U.S. equities? Well, I tell you, I, I, you know, I, I think that there's less chance of a contagion this time. But, I mean, you look at a chart of any emerging market currency index, and it is totally catch-the-falling-knife uh, situation. I mean, it's, it's, it cannot get up. Uh, so I think that there's going to continue to be fears about that. Um, we feel pretty good that we're going to see 6.5% growth out of China. Um, I think some of this is overdone, but clearly I think that the, the, the market is worried about contagion, although we think there's less chance of that this time around than last time. All right. Scott, thanks for joining us. Good to see you. All right, you. guys. Have a good evening. Scott Wren, Wells Fargo Investment Institute. Buy every dip. Buy well, every dip. Yeah. Buy every dip, Dan. I, I think the point is you've kind of covered this throughout the year. We have the Dixie. We have the dollar index at 95. Okay. And a lot of people didn't think it was going to be here. But if you go back and you look 18 months ago, it was at 100, right? But then if you go back eight months ago, it was at 90. Right. So here we are with this dollar that's kind of moved around. It's kind of moved higher. It's caused what we've seen, some of the, the trepidations in emerging markets, clearly an emerging markets debt. And that's the issue that people are kind of considering whether it's going to be contagion or not. I look around in the equity world and I see U.S. equities are the only major indices that are up on the year.
Okay, so there's this massive flight to quality. We see it in the dollar, right? We but at what point is that is that divergence something that's so extraordinary that? First of all, you're at a very rare event from a probability perspective, yeah. and, and that means either you have to have a correction or the U.S. is next to go. I don't think that the rest of the world can trade straight down. And again, European stocks, if you look at the Fez, which is the ETF for the Euro stocks 50, that's at a 21 RSI relative strength, and again, oversold as we've been in months. And again, we're back to these lows from almost 2016. So um, at some point, that concerns me, Dan. And again, I go to the data points because a lot of them are confidence um, infused, okay, and there's zero I, confidence out there in the world. Just right making now. one quick point, though. What we saw today is mild guidance out of some semis. If we were to see this, and especially when you have FANG pulling back for good reasons because of spending, you're going to see 25% of the S&P, or excuse me, you know what I mean, of the tech sector, are going to go flat. They're really going to kind of just slow down here. So what's the other things that are going to accelerate them? If you don't have global growth expanding, to me, that's where you're going to pull back in the S&P 500. All right. Coming up. Since Tesla CEO Elon Musk sent this uh, his fateful funding secure tweet that got the company in hot water, he hasn't stopped tweeting or blogging or talking. Is he his own worst enemy? Plus, it's mall madness. Some retail names are soaring while others are getting crushed. But don't worry. Guy here is grabbing his favorite tote bag sorting out the nice winners and the losers in this space. And later, Bitcoin is sinking fast. It's got the whole crypto universe in a frenzy. Is a crypto craze about to come to a screeching halt? We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Much more fast money right after this. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back. Fast Money. Retail stocks have been on a tear this year with the XRT Retail ETF trading near all-time highs, but not every name has participated in the mall madness. Dom, she's in the newsroom breaking down the retail haves from the have-nots. Hey, Dom. Well, Melissa, it wasn't so long ago where many were proclaiming the death of traditional retail as the Amazonification of the industry started to really take its toll. But over the course of the last couple of years, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. And even today, there's a pretty big divergence between the retail haves and the have-nots. So we took a look at the stocks that go into the Spider Retail Exchange Traded Fund, that ticker XRT. It's an equally weighted group of retail names. We wanted to see which stocks have done relatively better on a year-to-date basis. Since consumer discretionary as a sector is neck and neck with tech as the best performing S&P high 500 sector in 2018, we're going to accentuate the positive and start with some of the relative winners, which include a pretty diverse set of participants like mid-scale department store chain Kohl's, which is up 50% so far this year. TJX Companies, which owns TJ Maxx and Marshall's off-price outlets, is up around 45%. Big box store Target up around 37%. And then there's even Ulta Beauty up around 23%. Now, on the flip side of that coin, some of the underperformers have been names like L Brands, which is the parent company of Victoria's Secret and 
Bed Bath & Body Works. It's lost around 55% of its value year to date. Discount chain Dollar Tree has lost around 23%. And even Walmart has had a pretty dramatic comeback since the lows earlier this year. But even with that, is still down a couple percent year to date. Now, Melissa, the stock pickers who got it right in retail look a heck of a lot better these days than the ones who picked the losers. Back over to you. Sure do. Thanks, Dom. Dom, you in the newsroom. So given the move in some of these names, which stock should you shop? Which should you drop? Guys over at the Plaza going on a little mall madness shopping spree. Guy. Hi, Mel. Apparently, I just learned this in my ear. Mall madness was a board game. When I was a kid, we played like Parcheesi. Remember, that was a board game. But I guess all the, the Gen Xers and the Millennials are playing mall madness. So we're going to play it now as well because that's what we do. So check it out. Dom mentioned a couple stocks. So there was a four. Tim did this the other day, and I was mesmerized by it. I said, wow, Tim, that's like ESPN draft stuff. I wonder if I could do it. Well, I'm going to give it a shot. Here I go. What am I buying and what am I sort of putting on hold and letting it go for a while? I'm going to buy the following stock. Guess what? Ulta Beauty. I'm going to put in my purchase list. And why? Look at the last earnings report. The knee-jerk reaction was lower. The stock reversed, closed higher, held 200 a couple times, 21 times forward earnings. Not a ridiculous valuation given their growth. I think it makes a move back towards all-time highs. What am I getting rid of? I'm going to put it over here by the hanger. I'm hanging it up, of course. Walmart. You say, Walmart? The stock has been on a tear. It has been on a tear. It's going from 82 basically to 96.97. But on valuation now, close to 20 times forward earnings, I think it's too rich. I think it pulls back. Maybe we'll buy it later, not right now. I got it on my hanger. What else am I buying? Well, between the Gap and L Brands, you got to go L Brands. Why? First of all, we can play that gratuitous footage of Victoria's Secret over and over again, which we'll do at some point. And second of all, you know what? At a certain point, it becomes compelling on valuation. Last quarter was it a total disaster. Comps are actually better. And on a valuation basis, maybe you'll start to get some bottom feeders here. So I'm going to take a shot there. And Gap, I'm hanging it up. Why? Because I'm the least cool person in the world, and I don't even shop at the Gap. So if I'm not shopping there, I don't know who is. Back to you, Mel. All right, so just to clarify, because these symbols might be confusing to some at home, the hanger denotes putting it back on the rack, hence you don't like it. You put it back on the rack. Put it back on the rack. The bag means that you're putting it into your bag, your shopping bag. You're going to buy these stocks. So Guy likes Ulta and L Brands. Guy does not like Walmart and Gap. Tim, what do you think? Well, I, I could see guys shopping at uh, Victoria's Secret, and, and ultimately I think that's a great call. I mean, I think Bath & Body Works is, is the great part of that business right now. We need to see comps uh, at Pink and Victoria's Secret do better. 9.1% dividend yield right now. This, this reminds me a little bit, obviously, very different underlying product of Mattel. A broken, broken company with a high dividend. You wonder if they're even going to pay this dividend anymore. Um, I like L Brands, and this may be, it would be something, in your they, bag as something well. maybe the options action guys talk about, because I think you need to figure out what your risk is, because right now this company's been in free fall. I can't speak to that company, but I can speak to Walmart. You know, Walmart had this, this unexpected traffic growth, right? And they've been investing, they've been doing some of the things that they had to do better to compete with the likes of Amazon, especially with a resurgence target. So to me, you know, Walmart went from 90 to 100 and pull back to 95 after results. It's kind of basing here. I think this one's okay. I think it's going to go back above 100 here. So that's also in my so bag. Are you shopping well, it? Yeah. Yeah. It's in my yeah. bag. I just put it in my bag. It's in his bag. I'm yeah. shopping. Right. You pay for it? I, I could also you see. You just chuck it in your bag. Yeah. He chucked it in his bag. I, mean, I can see guys shopping at Alta as well. I mean, it doesn't look that good on TV for a reason. But I like Alta. I think it's a great name. I think it's been the anti Amazon story. I think it continues to work. Walmart, however, I take the other side and I agree with Guy. I take the other side, Dan, and agree with Guy. 
Walmart still has issues from a spending perspective. They've got to but catch up. Go. I think that Walmart's not uh, attractive. So you would level. drop it. I would drop it. Can I ask Drop it. If, if Guy Adami is not shopping at Gap, doesn't that make it cool? I would it, think that it would be I thought a it was the contrarian guy indicator, but, you know, and I thought yeah. he was going to say, I shop at Gap, therefore, so therefore it's, it's not, not cool. cool. But That's what I thought. Yeah. But anyway. Can I just do this the rest of the show? Great job, by the way. Someone needs to tell Guy, hey, Guy, you've got it down. You did it just as well as I did. Great Great job, job, Guy. Good job. Gold star. (laughs) Guy, Guy. Everybody gets a medal. Still ahead, it's the (laughs) NFL kickoff weekend, but it's also the eSports fall kickoff with a tournament for one of the most controversial games, League of Legends. We'll talk to a team owner about all the drama. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Crypto in turmoil as Bitcoin falls $1,000 in less than 24 hours. Is the crypto universe heading straight into a black hole? We'll explain. Plus, Tesla CEO Elon Musk just can't keep quiet. From tweets to blog posts to wild emails. And you won't believe what he's about to do next. Much more Fast Money right after this. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been nearly a month since Elon Musk created a circus around Tesla with a single tweet. Shares of the electric vehicle maker are down 18 percent since he tweeted funding secured back on August 7th. And he hasn't stopped talking or tweeting or blogging, sending wild emails ever since. And tonight he will appear on comedian Joe Rogan's podcast to talk about well, who knows what? He's feeling the heat now from both shareholders and short sellers. The infamous uh, short seller, Andrew, left filing a lawsuit against the company just today. So it is clear the board can't seem to control him and there's no activist in sight. So can anyone control Elon Musk or will he continue to be his own company's worst enemy? This is becoming a corporate governance issue, Tim. Well, right? it, it is. And, and at some point, you start to then not really believe anything he says. And the company's had a number of operational uh, outlooks that have not also really come true. Um, bottom line is Elon Musk is also everything to this company. So this is the problem because this isn't a case where I think even if you brought in a, a an operating CEO and left Elon as the chairman and left him as this figure and this you know, dynamic visionary entrepreneur that he is, um, I, I think people would be very disappointed. So um, I think Elon does need to tone it down. and. and, and the irony here is he seems to want to beef up all of his commentary when the heat's on him, and that's not doing the stock well. Bottom line, it's a fundamental story, folks. 
and the fundamentals don't support the valuation, especially in a world with a lot of competition. Let's say you believe you believe in the fundamental story. Let's say yep. you believe in the vision of Elon Musk. Let's say you believe that every single target that they put out will be hit, which is what Oppenheimer said today. They think that third quarter deliveries right. will be met based on some of the data that was released. So let's say you believe that. Still, you don't know what this guy's going to do. You don't know what this guy's going to say, and he doesn't seem to have any muzzle on him. I don't think it's important right. what he's doing or saying right now. It I think what's it important, doesn't. I got an email from Audi today trying to sell me an e-tron. It's an SUV that's got 250 miles, and it's going to be much cheaper than the Model S, or X, excuse me, the, the, I suspect. So the point about real competition from the likes of the, the Germans, Germans, Audi, right. and Mercedes is coming. coming one. It's, it's coming. Good. It's coming in 2019, and I right. think that's the thing. It's been coming for a long about, time. No, I know, but I mean, we're going to start seeing these things roll yeah. off the lines. And these are companies that actually don't make cars in tents. Yeah, they, they talk about deliveries being there. But are, is the margin going to be there? I mean, that, that's the bigger question I think investors are waiting for in Q3. So will the margin be there or not? I, I think he's sort of guided the street to a 25% margin. So he needs to nail that. If he doesn't, all bets are off. And I think people get very frustrated with the story. But I do think he's reckless. And I, I wouldn't be buying the stock here. I'd stay clear of it. Bulls are annoyed with him because the stock is down. Apparently, short sellers like Andrew Left, they're they're annoyed, I was going to say something else, <laughs> annoyed as well because the stock is down, yeah. ironically. He's got nobody on it. I mean... Doesn't have a lot of fans right now. In our business, it's okay to be wrong. It's not okay to stay wrong. And I got to tell you, when again, I thought when he said funding secured, that stock was beeline to 420. Didn't happen. And then when it basically traded back to 325, we said 280s in the crosshairs. 280s where it closed today. But the reality is, you know, stocks don't give you that many top opportunities to sort of bounce off these levels. We've been here three or four times. Leads me to believe, I, I hate to say it, but the path of least resistance is probably lower still. Does it test 244? That's the level it traded down low. earlier this year, right, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. Was talking 245, about. right, guy? That was a Early April. Dan low. was making fun of me. I don't know what Dan's getting what? emails from Audi. I ain't getting any emails from Audi. He's showing off. Big time. Showing off. Big For more time. on the Tesla saga and the full story of Andrew Left's lawsuit against the electric automaker, be sure to head over to CNBC.com. Still ahead on fast, crypto falling off a cliff, the space tumbling this week as Bitcoin plunges back below 6,500. We'll tell you what's behind the move. Plus, it's a huge weekend in the sports world as the NFL season kicks off tonight and the first big esports event of the fall takes place this weekend. We'll give you all the details right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a total bloodbath in crypto land with Bitcoin plunge, with the plunge accelerating, dropping $1,000 in less than a day. It is now falling back towards 6000 Bob Pisani is over at the NYSE to break down what is behind this crypto chaos. Bob. And they're looking, Melissa, for some good news. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies continue to drop, going from 7300 to roughly 6900 yesterday before dropping another $500 to 6400 That was in late-night trading when the Asian markets opened. Now, there hasn't been much good news for Bitcoin in a while, frankly. Bitcoin bulls have been pinning their hopes for a rally this year on two developments. First, that an institutional investor like Goldman would come into the space to drive additional demand. And second, that a Bitcoin ETF might be approved by the SEC. Neither of those have happened yet, and the lack of those catalysts will likely make it difficult for Bitcoin to move significantly, at least in the short term. Because there is no services or products offered, demand depends on increasing the number of Bitcoin holders and the number of transactions. But that's not happening to any appreciable extent. Now, the technical picture is horrible as well. Since the end of last year, Bitcoin has seen a series of lower highs, even as has had roughly held the 6,000 level as the lows for the year. Even a business 
Insider report that Coinbase has approached BlackRock for help getting a crypto ETF off the ground really didn't move Bitcoin up at all. Business Insider, citing sources, said Coinbase has held conversations with people at BlackRock's blockchain working group. But that's a long way from any kind of partnership. BlackRock has expressed zero interest in getting into the Bitcoin business in the past. There's no indication they've changed their position. Hey, by the way, Melissa, Goldman may be fudging on whether they're are or not getting into Bitcoin. At a TechCrunch conference, Goldman's CFO described the recent reports that Goldman was shelving plans to launch a crypto trading desk as, quote, fake news, though he didn't elaborate on exactly what he meant by that. Try to get that a little clearer. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob. Thanks, Bob Pisani at the NYSE. And specifically, just to follow up on those comments from the Goldman Sachs CFO, he said, when we talked about exploring digital assets, that it was going to be an exploration that would be evolving over time. So he seems to indicate that there was never a time frame. And so shelving it would be too strong language in terms of what they have said in the past about exploring whether or not to have this desk. Um, at this point, though, where are yeah, we Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you look at the, the newsful in the space. Newsful has not been great. And there needs to be a catalyst to get it going again. And remember as well, the same investors, I mean, that are investing in, in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are also investing in cannabis. And right now, cannabis is on fire. So you look at cannabis names and the amount of money that's rolled into that space or flown into that space. You know, look at a Tilray. Tilray. I mean, Tilray went from $17 with an IPO to 95 bucks yesterday, pulled back a little bit. I mean, that is all a lot of retail flow, tremendous amount of retail flow. And again, it's the same type of investor that's investing in cryptocurrencies. So I think once the catalyst happens, once something from a story narrative changes within crypto, I could see money going right back in and taking these names up, or Bitcoin in particular. I mean, if you overlay the charts, it's tempting to make that yeah. assumption that the money is flowing out it's of one tough. thing yeah. going into another. It needs to be although, a Although, I, I mean, I, I just think, I think you actually have a decent amount of institutional interest in the, canop in the cannabis space. Um, and ultimately, in you know, Bitcoin and crypto, I mean, there's really nothing institutions can do here until there's a custody solution. Right. So I, I hear what you're saying, David, and there's no question that in terms of the people that are focused and in terms of, you know, emerging asset classes, absolutely. Um, but I, I think, first of all, the $6,000 level on Bitcoin, massive, right? This is the level we keep coming back to. And you can make an argument that this has been the base and that maybe technicals are holding up. Um, but I, I think, you know, really what's happened here is I just think that we got to this place where, um, first of all, the concept and the existential reason for blockchain makes a ton of sense. The, the practical usage right now for people outside of speculation just hasn't been there. And without the ability to get institutions in there, you go dead. All right, let's stick with payment space, sort of. Um, shares of Visa surged 27% since January is one of the year's best performing Dow stocks. One trader is betting the stock's hot run that was about to cool off. So, Dan, what did you see today? Yeah, it was off on such a spike, and, and it was really put volume was two times that of calls today, and there was one trade that caught my eye. And obviously, guys flagged this. I know you've been all over this one for more than a year, Guy, but it looks like maybe somebody was buying some protection looking out to September expiration. When the stock was trading at uh, 143.73, there was a buyer of 5,000 of the September 143 puts, paying $1.73 for those. Those break even at 141.27, down about 1.7%. Looks like some short, very short-term protection um, below that 141 level here. All right. For more options action, check out the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, the NFL season officially kicking off tonight on NBC with the Philadelphia Eagles and Atlanta Falcons going head-to-head. -head. We will take it down to Philly and hear from Brian Roberts, the CEO of NBC's parent company, Comcast. And football isn't the only game in town this weekend. The League of Legends summer split finals happening on Sunday. This is the first big esports event of the season. If you think the NFL is drama, you haven't seen anything yet. We will talk to the CEO of the defending champs, much more fast. Still ahead.
Welcome back to Fast Money amid a flurry of controversy. Even the president has been tweeting about NFL's 2018 season officially kicking off tonight. Eric Chamis marking the occasion outside Lincoln Financial Field where the reigning Super Bowl champs, the Philly Eagles, will be playing. Hey, Eric. Hey, that's right, Melissa. We're here in Philadelphia. The kickoff starts in just a couple of hours. A lot of things to talk about with the NFL and its business this year. Number one, you think about sports gambling, the Supreme Court this year, allowing it to be more widespread throughout the nation. New Jersey, just a couple of miles away. It's legal there. You can bet on your phone. You can bet on the Internet. That is going to change the way fans interact with the league, but it should mean more money for the league, higher engagement, higher TV ratings. Those TV ratings have been down 17% the last two years. The league is trying to figure out a way to get those numbers back or at least not have them decline as much and it is affecting youth participation we've talked to a lot of high school coaches youth coaches fewer kids are playing fewer kids are watching uh, the game on TV a lot of them because they're doing esports they're doing video games I know you're going to talk about that later that's been a big distraction away from watching football the real game and then another thing to look at Nike Colin Kaepernick the national anthem President Trump the midterm elections coming up this season that is a political controversy that goes way beyond the field the NFL doesn't like it they want it to end but the owners and the players were not able to come to a deal this offseason so we're going to see tonight do any players protest and what protest forms does that look like so it's going to be an interesting season for sure melissa back to you it's going to be a great night at the very least thanks eric eric chammy in philadelphia all right so um eric had sort of given us a very good roundup nike shares finished higher today by six tenths of percent do you feel any better about what nike has done you're um, I, you didn't approve. I, I, I don't like companies to get political, even though, as far as I'm concerned, Nike has earned their stripes and they have been at times iconoclastic. I mean, they've, they've gone out of their way at times to make a point. Um, and they have a global following. I, again, would reiterate, if people are worried about North America and say they're an international company, the recovery in the stock was an inflection in North American sales. And that is something people should worry about. If Nike, if the ad somehow revives this kneeling controversy, does that further hurt the NFL, or are we past that? I, I happen to think we're past that. I think mm -hmm. what's going to help the NFL this year is the fact that people now gamble on games. And when people uh -huh. have money on the line, I don't do it, but people are more apt to watch. And we said when Disney was a $100 stock the night the, the verdict came down to legalize gambling, we said that might be the lifeline that ESPN needs. The stock's basically rallied 12 13%. So I think viewership will be up this year based solely on the fact that people are now going to be gambling legally on NFL games. All right. And, of course, you can watch uh, the first NFL game of the season. That's tonight on NBC at 8.20 p.m. Eastern time. While millions of fans will tune into the NFL kickoff game tonight, even more could be watching another set of games happening this weekend. The first big esports event of the fall, the North American League of Legends Summer Split Finals, will be taking place in Oakland with two of the region's biggest teams set to duke it out for supremacy on what fans of the game call the rift after a busy summer of matches. This is concern surrounding Riot Games, owned by Chinese tech giant Tencent and the publisher of League of Legends, have emerged around the company's spending on esports. For more, let's bring in Steve R. Hansett. He is the owner of Team Liquid, whose team is defending their title this weekend. A very big uh, weekend for you, Steve. Thanks for making yes, the time is. for Thank us. Of course, Melissa. Thank you for having me. How does the strategy change um, as you go into this particular tournament being the reigning champions? I mean, how do you train differently? How is the sponsorship different? Um, how is the scrutiny different? Yeah, you know, going into this event this weekend, this is a stepping stone to Worlds. So we actually ended up winning the first split of these two splits. And so we're reigning champions from the spring. And uh, hopefully we can take this home. We'll be playing at the Oakland Arena, which is right down the street. And so, uh, 
Yeah, we hope to bring home a championship, and then we'll actually be playing in Korea for Worlds. Uh, and Riot uh, shared no expense. They, they actually rented out a 40,000-person uh, stadium to host the finals. Um, there's some concern, though, Steve, that Riot could be slashing its, its uh, budget for the league. I mean, this is the most watched eSports league in the world. Um, viewership numbers are off the charts for this one. What does it tell you if, if Riot is thinking about slashing its spending on the game because it's not making any money and this is the most watched league out there, can esports survive? Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I think that Riot is continuing to invest in League of Legends. I think they have, I think it was quoted, they actually spent $100 million in just production alone. I think, if anything, they're becoming a little bit more thoughtful with regards to how they spend. From Team Liquid's perspective, we kind of see the ecosystem where there's substantial revenue still being uh, uh, earned within the space. And one of those is in sponsorships. You know, so for sponsorships, uh, there was a report done by Newzoo for 2018 where that market is going to be $900 million estimated for 2018. And, and close to home for Team Liquid, we're seeing 465 uh, percent growth from 2017 to 2018. So sponsorships are healthy. And I think I think the next thing is media rights. And media rights have to do with the exclusive right to broadcast the mm -hmm. league. And there's plenty of interest in the space. You've got Twitch, YouTube, um, uh, Twitter, Facebook, kind of all vying for these rights. I mean, Caffeine, just a couple days ago, is this new pl platform that just raised $185 million. So, you know, the, the ecosystem for media rights is really healthy. And I think in-game items. I mean, there's just such an interest to buy these skins in-game. Um, I think for many of the fans out there that are, are viewers that are, that are familiar with Fortnite, and there's going to be a lot of kids this Christmas that are going to be asking for V-Bucks instead of typical presents, sure. uh, which is the in-game currency for Fortnite. <laughs> So you mentioned sponsorships, and I actually I was just wa looking at that Newsy report this morning about the uh, almost billion dollars forecasted for 2018, and a big part of that was sponsorships. A much smaller part was actually uh, the media rights to broadcast and stream um, some of these some of these games. When you when you take a look out um, in terms of what this tournament means this weekend for your team when it comes to sponsorships, what's on the line? Can you give us an idea of how important that is to make it to um, the world's in Korea and to actually have the team get there in terms of sponsorship, what does that mean for your team? Yeah, I mean, our partners or our sponsors, they get greater visibility when we reach the pinnacle of each respective tournament or game that we participate in. So the viewership associated with going to Worlds generates more eyeballs on Team Liquid. So partners that have purchased space on our jersey or where we're producing content and pushing that through our social platforms, they're getting greater engagement if we make it further in the tournament. So for our partners, they, they have a real vested interest in us doing doing really well at Worlds. And of course, there's a lot on the line in terms of our brand equity for Team Liquid. Mm -hmm. We are consistently winning in a lot of different esports, and so we need to prove ourselves in League of Legends this year. All right. Well, Steve, best of luck to you and Team Liquid. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Steve Arhanset, Thank you. the owner of Team Liquid. It's, I mean, it's just like... I attended, I attended the finals yeah. last year. You're the Garden. cheap esports So, I mean, when, especially League of Legends, man. I mean, that, that place, that garden was rocking. Um, what, what we pointed out here is that the concurrent viewership of, I think, their midseason tournament was almost 20 million, you know, in terms of viewers. I mean, this is massive. 
Um, and again, they're owned by Tencent. I, I would argue that the center of gaming is in Asia uh, and that Tencent and, and even Samsung... China's cracking down, though. Well, they're, they're cracking down, although they're, they're limiting licensing, and I think that's also had a big impact on the... the the share price of Tencent. Yeah. But again, they bought Riot Games in 2015 outright. Those guys worked for Tencent. And by the way, they're some of the best in the world. All right. They remain so. Still ahead, CNBC's Jim Cramer sitting down with Comcast CEO Brian Roberts in an exclusive interview. Moments ago, you won't believe what he just said about media M&A. We will bring you those comments. We are live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Jim Cramer is in Philadelphia tonight ahead of the big game, and he just sat down with Comcast CEO Brian Roberts. Take a listen. We're looking for value opportunities. We're looking for strategic fits, and we have a management team that likes to build shareholder value. And so sometimes when we see something, we, by definition, you're the high bidder at that moment. It takes a little while to convince people. You've got to prove it. And I think we've done that, and I hope we, NBC is probably the best acquisition we ever made. At the time, we were a cable company. We wanted to, we saw content being more valuable over time. And now, of course, everyone wants to get into content. And right. they're looking for what we bought eight years ago, nine years ago. So same thing we think can be true in international. It can be true in connectivity and broadband. Our job is to be one step ahead and then eventually come to the investors and try to make the case once we've got the goods to prove it. So are we in for a flurry of media deals? And of course, this also comes as David Faber reports that potentially CBS and NAI could be coming to some sort of agreement, which might free up CBS in terms of the media landscape. What do you think? Well, I'm not to give away my final trade, but I think hmm. you're going to see a continu continued relief rally in CBS. And so I do okay. think you, I think this I might be right. the all clear sign for more deals to get done. So yes, I think so. I think on valuation, a lot of these stocks become very compelling at these levels. Yes. Seberg? Yeah, I agree. I think the val from a valuation basis, they absolutely have become uh, very compelling. But I still, Netflix is the name that I, I stick with. I think Netflix will continue to work out. I think content is king. And I think when he talks about acquisitions, acquisitions are going to be within the content realm. There's so again, no but when co content is king, are we throwing Netflix in that group? I mean, yeah, suddenly absolutely. Netflix, just the, they're the, the content. content. They're the king what? of content. They make content. They make content. In fact, they, they make cyber content. In other words, they, they'll, they'll, they'll slap together a TV show in, in 10 minutes based upon what people's viewing tastes are. Good for them. But is that really content? I mean, I know they've won a couple enemies. I just, look, how did we go from Netflix being a distribution play, first mover, big land grab, good for them, and now they're a content Because play. they evolved. They, I, they actually invested in content. They were one of the biggest investors in content, and that's what so drove So you'd rather have Netflix well, content over... over uh, can I Disney. take a, a, a step back to where we yeah. were with eSports? I mean, sure. look at EA. It's down as a $35 billion market cap company. I mean, that's real content. When you think about the opportunities that you have right. with, um, you know, eSports getting away from just kind of digital playing or, or through DVDs and that sort of thing. I mean, I actually think the lower EA goes, the more likely it is one of these big media companies mm -hmm. buys that, especially when you think about a Disney and the way that they can kind well, of cross-promote all ESPN. of their... They've already been doing that, and they did yeah. that with Fortnite. That's so, true, too. No, Overwatch, excuse me. They, they showed yeah. the finals, so... Yeah. Ahead of tonight's big NFL kickoff on NBC, you want to stick around for Jim Cramer's big show from Philadelphia and the full interview with Comcast CEO Brian Roberts. That all kicks off at the top of the hour. Up next... Final trades. Ugh. 
final trade, Tim. Constellation Brands, we know about the big canopy purchase, but valuation for this global beverage and now cannabis company, very attractive. 32. Sticking with the big pharma theme, I am a buyer Pfizer here. Dan. Yeah, I don't like semis, SMH, but I don't like TSM here. Take Real quick, Pete Najarian and his wife Lisa, big gala on Saturday night, Twin Cities Lime. Check it out on Pete's uh, Twitter. internet, Twitter. Thank you. CBS will get you done. All right, that does it for us. Stick around. Mad Money starts right now. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.